Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crossan, and this is Exposure 114. And this week, we decided to stick with the ACC, and we're going to talk about the rise and fall of the Florida State Seminoles. And if you listen to some of our previous pods, we took a look at the U and the Miami Hurricanes and their rise and fall and how they came to power and then the downfall that has hit their program since. It's a little bit similar with Florida State, but these two programs are main rivals. And so we wanted to go across town and take a look at Florida State and talk about their success and then their downfall, which they've been plagued with since. And so Florida State, to jump right on into it, is a program of history and power as well, similar to Miami. The Seminoles claim three national championships and three Heisman Trophy winners. And they also have the 10th highest winning percentage in Division I FBS history. We started our research with the Bobby Bowden era, which lasted from 1976 to 2009, which is a really long-lasting tenure. But Bobby was very successful, and he originally came over to Florida State from West Virginia, and he pretty much quickly built the Seminoles up into a powerhouse program. In the 80s and 90s, Florida State really seemed to be at one of their peaks, And they had 14 consecutive seasons with 10 or more wins and also having a top 10 finish. And during those 14 seasons, their combined record was 152, 19, and 1. Within that, they had 11 bowl wins, 9 ACC championships, 2 Heisman Trophy winners, and 2 national championships as well. So this tenure with Bobby is pretty much as good as you can get from a, a head coach as a program. Right, You want someone to come in that is going to build your program into a powerhouse and a national championship caliber contender. You want them to stay, of course. You don't want them to leave after just a couple of seasons. But he was here at Florida State forever. And not only was he there for a long time, but he built them into this powerhouse, winning championships, producing Heisman Trophy winners. And so this is pretty much as good as it can get. And other than Bobby's first year as head coach, when Florida State went 5-6, and six, they were pretty much successful almost every year after that, going 10 and 2, 8 and 3, 11 and 1, and 10 and 2 over his next four seasons. They did slip up, however, in the 1981 season going 6 and 5, but they then got back on track winning 9 games in the 1982 season, so no one's perfect. And during the rest of the time that Florida State was still independent, they never lost more than 4 games in one season, and as an added Bonus and fun fact, from 1986 to 1991, they actually never lost more than two games in one year. So now Florida State went on to join the ACC Conference for the 1992 season, and the success was really unparalleled at this point. In 1992, they went 11-1 with an Orange Bowl victory, and they followed it up in 1993, going 12-1, securing a national championship. In 94, they went 10-1-1 and and won the Sugar Bowl. In 1995, they went 10-2 with an Orange Bowl win. And then 1996 and 1997, they each went 11-1. But they won the Sugar Bowl in 97 versus losing the Sugar Bowl in 96. 1998, they went 11-2 and lost in the Fiesta Bowl. But in 1999, they went 12-0 and won their second national championship under Bobby. And then in 2000, they went 11-2, but lost in the Orange Bowl. But during the course of those nine seasons, Florida State had a combined two losses to ACC opponents, losing to Virginia in 1995 
and NC State in 1998. So they not only dominated their conference, obviously only losing two conference games, but they have multiple championships, national championships to show for during those nine seasons. Bobby has since passed away at the age of 91, but some people actually feel that he may be the greatest coach ever, and he definitely has a resume and an argument for that. And you can even look at his bowl record. He clearly had a big advantage in the win versus the loss column and was never afraid to schedule games against rivals and big-time opponents, even when the Seminoles were still independent. They would go on to play Florida and Miami nearly every year, as well as scheduling games against programs such as Nebraska, who was a powerhouse back in the day, Ohio State, who's a modern-day power and a historic power, and then the likes of Notre Dame's, Pittsburgh's, and the LSU's of the world. Bobby and Florida State were never afraid to play their rivals or other big-time programs as well. But of course, right here, we're just looking at the positives and the upside. With any tenure, especially with how long Bobby coached at Florida State, it wasn't always easy for Bobby and his program. And they really started to slip a little bit in the 2004 season, going 9-3. and And this really proved to be the beginning of the end of Bobby's tenure at FSU. In 2005, they went 8-5, and and then it went kind of downhill from there. In 2008, they kind of maybe caught a swing up again, going 9-4 and with a win in the Champ Sports Bowl. But then in 2009, they went 7-6. and this was, this was it for Bobby. This was his last season. And they did go out on top with a win in the Gator Bowl. But this was going to be the end of his historic tenure with Florida State. So now this brings us to Jimbo Fisher as becoming the head coach for the Florida State Seminoles. And when someone says Florida State to me, Jimbo is the first thing that I think of with Florida State. Jimbo was officially hired as the head coach on January 5th, 2010. But he was their offensive coordinator for the previous three seasons. And I do want to spend some time on Jimbo and give you guys some more details on his background and where he was before at Florida State. So he was first a player at Samford University. And actually, when he played there, he was a quarterback. And as a senior, he was the 1987 NCAA Division III National Player of the Year. So some accolades for Jimbo as a player. He did go on and play a year in the Arena Football League. But then he realized that his passion was with coaching and then rejoined one of his former coaches as a graduate assistant working with quarterbacks in the 1998, 1999, and 1990 seasons. So this is really how he got his start into coaching, which is how most coaches seem to get their start becoming a graduate assistant when they're young. He moved into the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach role and served two more seasons under this new role. And then he went on to Auburn University coaching their quarterbacks until 1999. So he stayed here for a while, and he really seemed to enjoy what he was doing here at Auburn. And he also had some talent to coach, and which is a big reason why you find yourself staying at one position rather than bouncing after a couple years. But he coached some successful quarterbacks, including Patrick Nix. But for the 2000 season, Jimbo left and went to Cincinnati for only one year. And then after that, he joined Nick Saban's staff at LSU. So now we're starting to see that point where as you're a coach, you're going to have some point in your upbringing when you're bouncing around programs. But even though Nick Saban left LSU for the Miami Dolphins job, Jimbo stuck around with LSU under head coach Les Miles, and this proved to be very valuable for Jimbo in his development as an offensive mind. 
because he helped develop some of their quarterbacks, including Jamarcus Russell. And ironically, along the way when he was working with LSU, Jimbo actually interviewed for the Alabama head coaching job after the conclusion of the 2006 season, but that didn't work out for him. When Nick Saban came back to coach collegiate ball and took the Alabama job, he offered Jimbo to come join his staff, but Jimbo went on to turn this down, instead making his way to Florida State, becoming their offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Seminoles. After his first season, he was named pretty much the head coach in waiting, so clearly Florida State had their eye on him, they got him, and they were grooming him for one day to take over the head coaching role. They wanted him to take this role, and really, they went out and took him from LSU because Florida State, like a lot of programs, is looking for the next big thing, and coaches aren't always going to be a defensive-minded, especially at this point in the college football world. In the mid, early, and late 2000s, the game wasn't as offensive heavy as it is now. But they saw that Jimbo was an offensive mind. It was continuing to develop himself offensively, and they wanted that change for their program. So Jimbo started off very well as a head coach for Florida State, winning 10 games in his first season. They also beat their main rivals, Miami and Florida, both in that season for the first time since 1999, and they went on to end the season on a good note, defeating South Carolina in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. And then the following year, they went 9-4, and which is still decent considering that they beat their rivals Miami and Florida again, and then ended the year with a win over Notre Dame in the Champs Sports Bowl. Now, this brings us to 2012, which is really a big step forward for FSU. They won the ACC, which was their first conference title in seven years. And they also finally appeared in a major BCS Bowl, defeating Northern Illinois in the Orange Bowl. So now you're at the point where you had that big step forward, and the expectations are going to be very high heading into the 2013 season. And it's safe to say that this was a successful year for the Seminoles, because they not only had the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback in Jameis Winston, but went undefeated en route to a national championship that year. So you have the perfect the Cinderella year in 2013. And of course, you want to repeat as champs going into the 2014 season. But repeating as champs is very difficult. But you have to consider the pieces that you're bringing back. And Florida State had this with their Heisman Trophy quarterback coming back in Jameis Winston. And Florida State was still able to go undefeated throughout the regular season. But then they got smoked by Oregon in the college football playoff semifinal losing 59-20. to 20. And I think we all kind of saw this coming, being that Florida State and Jameis really didn't look the same all year long. Jameis, in his Heisman Trophy-level quarterback play, seemed to have dipped from the previous year, and Florida State as a whole had returned a lot of talent, but I was waiting for them to slip up along the way. They weren't really blowing teams out as much. They didn't look as strong. They didn't look as balanced as their previous year when they won it all. And I have to give them credit because they did find a way to not slip up. I was waiting for that one loss to come in the regular season. It just happened to all unravel in the CFP semifinal when they lost by almost 40 points. So now things start dipping even more as we look into the 2015 and 2016 seasons where they went 10-3 and both years. And this included a 63-20 loss to Louisville in the 2016 season. And look, 10 wins still isn't bad, 
but it's not good enough for a program like Florida State who had just won a ring a couple seasons prior. And now, when you become a program that is winning national championships, people are going to judge your success on who did you lose to versus who did you beat. So if you go 10-3 and three or 11-2 and two or 12-1 and one or whatever the case may be, people aren't going to say, who did you beat? It's going to be, oh, you lost one game or you lost two games. Well, who did you lose to? So that's when things start to change. And with Florida State, when they started going downhill, losing three games a year, it turned into, well, who did you lose to? Well, you lost to Louisville 63-20. to that's, that's a bad loss. We don't care how good Louisville was or how explosive their offense was in that season. So now 2017 comes around, and this proved to be the floor for Jimbo's time with Florida State. And Florida State actually had hype going into the 2017 season, and some preseason polls actually had them ranked third going into week one. They had a game scheduled early on against Alabama, but lost 24-7. And frankly, they never got on track for success, finishing with a losing record in the ACC, something that Florida State had never done before. And then in December of 2017, Jimbo had accepted the head coaching position at Texas A&M, signing a 10-year, $75 million contract with the Aggies. So in total for Jimbo, eight years with Florida State, going 83-23, and 23, which is a .783 winning percentage, which is the best in Florida State school history. He also had the 2013 National Championship, three ACC Conference Championships, four AP poll top 10 finishes, and four bowl game victories. So very successful. And I think we get so caught up in the sports world where you see players, whether it's football or basketball, whatever, coaches, players, and programs that go on to win multiple national championships, back-to-backs, three-peats, whatever. It doesn't seem as common right now, but we've seen the history of that. And it's easy to get caught up in the fact of, oh, if you don't have multiple championships, then it wasn't successful. So in this case, I mean, you got a ring out of it in 2013. You dominated your conference. You finished as one of the top programs at at the end of the year four times. So it was very successful for all parties involved with Jimbo Fisher and the university. So now we're on to our next era, which really isn't an era. It's more of a speed bump, really. But this brings us to the hiring of Willie Taggart, who left Oregon to become the coach at Florida State. And this really just didn't go well. There was a losing record for the first time since 1976 in his season there, and they missed a bowl game for the first time in 36 years. And so then on November 3rd, 2019, everyone pretty much had enough after their loss to rival Miami, and Taggart was fired after being hired in only 2018. And now this brings us to Mike Norvell, who's the current coach now, and he was brought in from Memphis. But to just add fuel to the burning dumpster fire, that is the current state of the Florida State Seminoles football program. They went on to lose to Jacksonville State 20-17 to last year, which was the first time Florida State had lost to a non-FBS opponent since 1959. So really, when you think they've hit bottom, they found an even lower bottom, and now it's really rock bottom, and it feels like they're just staying here. I think some would say at this point, well, the only way where you can go is up. I would disagree. I mean, Things aren't always going to get better. You could just stay parallel with the floor that you're on currently. And so we'll see what Mike can do. Right, Everyone's excited. It's new blood. And you look at the state of Florida as well. Miami's trying to rebuild. Florida's trying to rebuild. So Florida in general is kind of a mess. 
it feels like all three of those programs are in some sort of a similar boat. And so Mike has a chance to jump ahead here. So we're going to switch gears here because I found a very interesting Bleacher Report article written in 2019 by BR writer Matt Hayes. This goes into pretty good detail about what the hell actually happened with Florida State and how they went from the top dog to the bottom of the college football world so quickly. Because, I mean, a lot can happen in eight years. And so when Willie Taggart took over as head coach, he seemed to have inherited a very bad program. And Florida State fans were actually signing petitions, creating Facebook pages, and starting GoFundMes calling for the resignation of Willie per this article and I think it was just because the program had hit rock bottom so quickly it's easy to point the finger at someone and it's easy to point that at the new coach who just came in and even the university received some backlash for hiring Willie in the first place but when Matt goes on to write into this article in his opinion the person to blame for this mess was Jimbo Fisher and athletic director Dave Coburn at one point was saying things like we were Clemson before Clemson and we were the team that had caught Alabama and we were getting ready to pass them, obviously referring to the 2013 national championship where they were top dog. Now, just because you won one national championship doesn't mean you're passing Alabama. At this point, Nick Saban's tenure with Alabama, he won a championship in 2009 and then went back to back in 2011 and 2012. So unless Florida State also had a repeat in 2013, 2014, then I think we could start having that conversation of, are you really catching Bama or did you really catch Bama? In this case, it's easy to look back and say, oh, well, we could have, we would have, and play the what if game. But I think their AD was getting a little bit ahead of themselves here. But the point is with this article and with what really happened with Florida State, there were really three main problems. The first was academic deficiencies. Obviously, you have college athletes, you have to have your players not only attend class, but they have to perform well enough in the classroom to remain eligible. That's step one. The second major failure was recruiting failures. You have to get great players, especially in the state of Florida, which is probably a top three state in terms of high school talent. You have all this talent literally in your backyard. You're not going to get every major player out of the state of Florida. You have to understand that you have Florida in Miami that you're competing with and then even the likes of the Ohio States and other big time programs that come down to Florida to recruit but players want to stay home you can find guys that are ranked in the top 200 300 etc that want to stay home or maybe they grew up recruiting for Florida State and they were just failing in the recruiting cycles and then the third thing was just flat out dysfunction on the field dysfunction in the locker room and within the coaching staff itself so it seemed like these things were prevalent when Jimbo was leaving and that Willie had inherited a lot of these issues. And all this seemed to start with the special treatment that Jimbo Fisher was giving his Heisman Trophy level quarterback, Jameis Winston. In my opinion, Jimbo really seemed to slowly start to lose institutional control because now we're talking about a head coach who started to have a hands-off attitude, was giving out special treatment, and this didn't really seem to care at this point. So now you're looking at your program that's starting to unravel a little bit. And once you have sort of a hands-off attitude when it comes to academics, that can spiral into something bigger because now you're at risk of being compliant with the NCAA and their rules and regulations, which can make your team and players just flat out ineligible. 
And in this article, there was an unnamed former assistant to Jimbo that told BR that at the end of Jimbo's time at Florida State, the coaches were given just one mandate, which was, quote, keep the players eligible. So clearly with Jimbo, he knew he was on his way out. He had decided for himself that he was leaving and just kind of had a, I don't really care attitude, just make it work by whatever means necessary. The special treatment thing really isn't that surprising. You have your, you have your Heisman Trophy level quarterback. At that point, yes, they're going to receive some sport of special treatment. But in this case, it seemed to be a little bit different. This special treatment led towards dysfunction that was seen in the locker room. And once you have that, that pretty much kills any sort of championship culture that the Seminoles had created after their win in the 2013 season. So now with Willie, not only are you inheriting all of these issues, but he had to introduce a culture change as well. And for Willie, this was the dream job for him. He was willing and left Oregon after just one season to take this job. And he knew the challenges that would come with it. But to make this culture change, and in his press conference, he stated that his two biggest points of emphasis are graduation and recruiting, which is a great place to start. So we were asking the question, well, how bad was the academic thing really? Well, the NCAA released their annual academic progress report. And in May of 2019, it was released for the 2017 and 2018 years. And Florida State's football team score was 922. And to give you some context about that score, this was dead last amongst Power 5 programs. This was also dangerously close to the minimum score that the NCAA has set. And if you dip below this minimum score, the NCAA will take action, generally starting with a loss of practice hours. But depending on with relative how bad the scores truly are and for how long, this can escalate to ineligibility for championship games, loss of scholarships, and potentially coaching suspensions, depending on how bad it is. So if you're asking what this minimum score is, it's 930, which would put Florida State below the minimum in 2017-2018 because they had 922. But there's no need to panic right away because this didn't make Florida State in trouble right away or eligible for these action points for punishments because this is assessed on a four-year average. And so luckily for Florida State, when you take a four-year average, now they're at 936. So they're six points above passing, which is still dangerously close, but the NCAA didn't have to take action on this. And since Jimbo resigned in late 2017 and Willie took over in 2018, this score falls under both head coaches. And after this initial release of the scores, I think Willie knew what was coming because he knew what he was getting himself into and he knew the problems academically. So he jumped on Twitter to defend his program. And some of the insights that was pointed out here was that 29 players had just had personal best GPAs and the program had more than 25 players with a 3.0 GPA or higher with that semester they had just finished. So nice to see some progress here, at least on the academic side. But now to speak on more of the dysfunction that was seen, another unnamed assistant coach under Jimbo said the academic trouble and dysfunction was really due to a lack of discipline and direction that was given on the team. This would lead to issues that would play themselves out on the football field, which seemed to grow significantly over Jimbo's final seasons. And that makes sense, remember, because in 
2015 and 2016, they went 10 and 3. And in 2017, they absolutely hit a floor under Jimbo. So if you take a look at their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and national champion, Jameis Winston, he had some off the field issues, we'll just say. And this consisted of a rape allegation, shoplifting crab legs, and he was even suspended for one game by Florida State for making offensive and vulgar comments in public. And even though Jameis knew he was suspended for this game, he still went ahead and dressed up, showed up on the field anyways for warm-ups, and warmed up like usual before having a conversation or really more of an argument with Jimbo Fisher. After this, Jameis went back into that locker room and returned with street clothes later, which is what he should have been in the first place since he was suspended and couldn't play in that game. But the problem with this situation here is that Jameis clearly felt comfortable enough to either just disregard the suspension completely or just thought that Jimbo wasn't serious about it or that Jimbo would just let him play anyways because he was receiving some sort of preferential or special treatment. And that's the main problem here is that Jameis was comfortable with what he was getting. That's the sort of special treatment that can derail a program. And like we mentioned earlier, if you're an offensive-minded head coach like Jimbo Fisher, you're going to be heavily involved in the offense, especially with your quarterback, who is the captain of the ship. And so a lot of the time, especially nowadays, you can look at Ohio State with Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud. You could think, oh, C.J. Stroud is getting special treatment. Well, yeah, he's a starting quarterback for a team that's a college football playoff contender. And yeah, C.J. Stroud is the most important part of that team. So yeah, he's going to get some special treatment. This is a different kind of special treatment, and this is a big reason why, in his former assistant's opinion, that this led to dysfunction and everything else that brought Florida State down. So now this brings us back to present-day Florida State. They're still at a low, but like everybody else, they have the opportunity to start the season 1-0 as they go into the 2022 football season. Obviously, they're still working on their culture thing, and obviously they got to get the recruiting under control. It's We keep harping on it, but Florida is such a talent-rich state. Miami's down. Florida's down. Everyone's down right now. Everyone isn't where they should be. You do look at some of the other national out-of-state powers, like Ohio State just got two football commits last week out of Florida. That's going to happen, but you got to get some of these guys to stay home and play ball for you at Florida State. That and the culture, in my opinion, are the two biggest things that Florida State has to start focusing on. So that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode of SE. Share the show with your friends and family. Ratings and reviews are always much appreciated. So thank you to the ones who have done that so far. And you can just stay up to date with us and our show on our social medias at Silent Exposure on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and then at Silent Expose on Twitter. I'm Mitchell Crossan, and that was Sideline Exposure.